The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish people. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. Many of you know that last summer, Lou and I had the privilege of going to Italy and spending a couple of days in Rome and then about five days in Florence. And anyone who has been there knows that it is so rich in so many ways. Those two cities are just full of wonderful food, wonderful art, and the scenery is just spectacular. Everything about it seems to be almost over the top. Well, when I came back, or we came back, people would ask uh, what it was that stood out most for me. What was I most struck by? And it was always very easy for me to answer that question because I have always been particularly taken uh, with, a, with one particular Pieta that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Well, this summer I saw two Pietas. And one in Rome and one in Florence. And I'll tell you about the two. For those of you who may not know what a Pietà is, it's generally a, a work of art that depicts Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding Jesus after he's just been taken down from the cross. And the one that I am most familiar with, and perhaps you are as well, is that grand Pietà done by Michelangelo that's in St. Peter's, just as you come in on the right-hand side in the side chapel. The one that had been uh, nearly destroyed in 1972 and then was uh, put back together and set now behind some bulletproof glass. It's a beautiful piece, even in its in its uh, reconstruction. It is just incredible. When you stand before it, you almost expect Mary to take a breath or for a tear to come down her cheek. It is that lifelike. What is perhaps most uh, startling to find out, at least for me, was that it was done by Michelangelo when he was in his 20s. It was the work that established him as a great artist. And so few people believe that he actually could have done it, that it is said that he went in at night and carved his name into the statue so that it was clear it was his work, the only piece that he signed. 
Well, that's the Pietà that most of us are familiar with. The other one is in Florence. It's sometimes called the Florentine Pietà or the Pietà del Duomo because it is associated with uh, the work of Michelangelo there in Florence. It's found in the buildings that now house, that used to house the guild of the workers who built the uh, Duomo and the artwork that adorns it. And now that's a wonderful museum. And as you come up one staircase, at the top of the staircase, and you can actually see the statue from the bottom of the staircase, there at the top is a small room that contains another Pietà. This one is not behind bulletproof glass. There's just a simple railing around it. A person is only a couple of feet from the work itself. And unlike the one in Rome, it's very rough. It's like it hasn't been completed. In fact, it had been almost destroyed by Michelangelo himself. He took a hammer to it and destroyed the left leg of Jesus. And there were other parts of it that had to be put back together after he had done that. Well, what's so startling about this particular Pietà is that as you stand and look at it, you realize that Mary is not the secondary figure, the, the second most important figure in, in that setting, but rather it's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is standing behind Jesus. It's as though he's struggling to lower Jesus to the ground. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, is on one side and Mary Magdalene on the other helping him. Mary Magdalene's face is hardly discernible because it hasn't been completed. And then you realize that the face of Nicodemus is the face of Michelangelo. It's a self-portrait. Michelangelo puts himself in the place of Nicodemus, holding the body of his Lord, being lowered from the cross. That work was done when Michelangelo was in his 80s. And what's so striking is to see the difference in those 60 years. And what had happened to Michelangelo? What struck him about his relationship with God, his relationship with Jesus, that made such a difference? I believe that Michelangelo found what Nicodemus found. Michelangelo found truth personified, truth in a person. Michelangelo found something that changed his life, that allowed him to live his life as he lived it real. That statue is so real that that sculpture is because it's unfinished and because it's so rough, it seems more real in some ways than the other Pietà. Well, I set that before you because I believe that this Florentine Pietà is, captures what the gospel is saying to us today about truth and our relation to it. Jesus, in this scene that we have today, is brought before Pilate. He's, he's brought into this judgment hall. And as you recall, he had been flogged. One can imagine that uh, he had, was bleeding when he came to Pilate. And he must have been weary. He must have been very weak, wrapped in a scarlet robe and with that crown of thorns on his head. He stood before Pilate and Pilate begins to question him. This is not a trial. This is. This is an inquisition for Pilate to make a decision about how he's going to deal with the situation. And on the outside are those who are calling for one to be released and one to be put to death. 
And Pilate is there, faced with Jesus before him. He begins to question Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies with another question. Are you asking me that, Pilate, or did somebody put you up to it? What have you done, Pilate asks. And then Jesus answers the first question. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, so you are a king. You say so, says Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and turns the conversation. He says, for this I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then the next line that is not included in the lectionary, the very next line, Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? That is the question that has dogged us as human beings throughout our time. It seems that we're either searching for it or trying to avoid it. But truth seems to always be at the center. I think that it's a question that we all seek after and we find truth in different ways. For some of us, the only truth is empirical truth. It must fit the scientific model. You must be able to clearly define and state in a scientific term what is and what isn't. For those of us in the church and in religious institutions, often truth is stated in terms of doctrine or a set of beliefs. You know, there are some denominations that actually require you before you become a member to sign their statement of faith. This is what we believe. If you believe this, you can be a part of us. That's one understanding of truth. And. Unfortunately, it's the understanding of truth that we as a church seem to be struggling with most right now. The Anglican communion is struggling with what is truth. There are some who believe that many of us have gone a wrong direction and that we have not followed the doctrines of the church and the traditions of the church. And they say, if you can't believe this, if you can't do this, If you can't follow this doctrine, we cannot be in communion with you. We must walk separate ways. It was in 1955 that Paul Tillich addressed this question of truth in his book, The New Being. And in it, he he points with abundant clarity to what he has called a profound transformation of the ordinary meaning of truth about which Jesus spoke. And this new understanding of truth becomes particularly clear in John's gospel. It's in John's gospel that we see this best. And here are a couple of quotes, and there there are many more. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 14, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then perhaps the most important passage, I think, that makes this abundantly clear, where Jesus declares, I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the light. In each of those passages, Jesus speaks not of the truth of doctrine, but of the truth of presence. Tillich puts it this way. If Jesus says, I am the truth, he indicates that in him, the true, the genuine, the ultimate reality is present. Or in other words, that God is present, unveiled, undistorted in his infinite depth, in his unapproachable mystery. Jesus is not the truth because his teachings are true, but his teachings are true because they express the truth which he himself is. He is more than his words and he is more than any word said about him. Truth is found in the person of Jesus. The preacher never speaks truth. The preacher can only point to the truth. And that's true of every theologian. It's true of every denomination. It's true of every expression of faith. Tillich goes on to say that very early on, the church lost sight of this understanding of truth. Very early on, it it tried to distinguish between those who were orthodox and in some cases where it soon came to be called those who were Catholic and universal and those who were heretical. Those distinctions were not limited to the Catholic Church. They are present in all denominations. We seem to want to hang on to our understanding of the truth and then to bludgeon whomever disagrees with us with that truth. That is not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that truth is encountered in a person. I think that there perhaps is a rule of thumb that we can apply when truth is present. I believe that truth, as personified in Jesus, represents love that draws people to it. And the kind of truth that we often hang on to and that we use so inappropriately is the sort of truth that pushes people apart, that divides them, that separates those who are in from those who are out. I believe that in the church, each of us, every one of us, must be reminded of this transformational understanding of truth. I think it's extremely important for us to realize that we follow a person And that, I think, is so important in terms of our understanding that we are a part of a living faith that worships a living God. And that living God is in communication and action with us every day of our lives. We should not be surprised that God surprises us day in and day out with new understandings that we might even call truth. Well, back to Nicodemus. He's one of my favorite. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus, you'll remember, at night because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. After all, Jesus was a a rebel rabbi. He was out there doing things that no one had authorized. He goes away and he seems not to have been convinced. Then we see him again when there's some discussion among those in authority about whether or not Jesus should be arrested. And he says that he hasn't done anything wrong. 
But now, at the end of John's Gospel, we see him with Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph also a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. Something had happened to them. The same thing later happened to all of the disciples. Something happened that turned them from being cowards and from being afraid of being found out to being brave enough in the case of those two to go to Pilate and say, give us his body so that we might give him a proper burial. And they did. And one can imagine Nicodemus holding that body. And it's said that he had a hundred pounds of spices and aloe that he wrapped that body in lovingly. When I see that Pietà in Florence, I see as much love and as much pain as I see in Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding Jesus. Because Nicodemus had been transformed. He was no longer the same person because he had encountered truth. And it is a person. May you and I know that truth and may it transform our lives as well. Amen. Amen.